It's almost here. It is time for us to continue to talk about Christmas as we've been talking for several weeks now. Uh, this will be our fourth week talking about uh, the birth of Jesus. For three weeks we've been looking at the ghosts of Christmas past and uh, the lineage and the genealogy of Jesus Christ and how that plays into what we should know and how we should relate to Jesus. And we're going to continue that today. We're going to kind of finish the series, although I gave it a different title. If you'll see that in your bulletin, you'll see that it's The Man Who Saved Christmas. Now, um, obviously I'm playing off of uh, something with that. Many of you either were in the show or watched the show recently at Family Life called The Man Who Saved Christmas or The Man Who Saved Christmas about A.C. Gilbert. And uh, if you weren't there, if you haven't seen the show or if you don't, aren't familiar with the story, uh, it was during World War I. A.C. Gilbert uh, uh, had a toy factory um, and... Uh, the government decided that they wanted to shut down the manufacture of toys so that war bonds would be sold and so that the war effort would be more important than Christmas toys. And A.C. Gilbert, uh, as a toy manufacturer and a man who, uh, by all accounts, loved Christmas, went to the government and made strides to make it so the government would not outlaw toy sales during, the, the, during World War I and instead would continue to sell toys even through the wartime. And his main thing was that Christmas would not be Christmas without children being able to enjoy the toys that they would get on Christmas Day. Now this is a heartwarming story. I think it's a really good human interest story. It makes us feel good inside and all of that is, uh, it's a good, like I said, it's a really nice story. And you guys know I've made fun of Hallmark movies, and it's kind of like a Hallmark movie. It makes you feel good inside. It, It makes you say, yes, he saved Christmas by saving the toys for the children. But I want to be very careful, and I'm not here to criticize anything other than to say that this whole story of the man who saved Christmas very easily can get us looking at the wrong direction as we go into Christmas time. That toys aren't what is going to save Christmas. That saving toys is not what Christmas is about. Toys are not what Christmas is all about. Now, children love toys. It's good. I think they should have toys. I'm not saying we should ban toys. Uh, But what I am saying is that as we think about that musical, we think about that story, and as heartwarming it is, and as wonderful it is, you know, what is the true meaning of Christmas? And it's not about toys. It's not about preserving uh, our traditions of Christmas, which I think so many of us get lost in in this time of year. We get lost in the traditions of Christmas. We get lost in um, the present giving and and giving and and, and receiving. And I'm not saying any of that is bad, but what I'm saying is, is we've forgotten why. And we have, even not even intentionally, we have made Christmas something more than it ever should be in the sense of it's all about these things other than the birth of Jesus Christ. And today as we talk about the man who saved Christmas... Uh, we're going to get there. It's going to be the middle point today. But we're going to talk about a man who I believe, in a lot of ways, although God is in control and he is the one that orchestrates all of this, and I don't question that in any way, shape, or form, there is a man that without him, the first Christmas would not have happened. The first Christmas would not have fulfilled the prophecies that have been laid out throughout the Old Testament. And that man, so many times, we don't talk about that much when it comes to Christmas, We talk about his wife, and we talk about his uh, child, we talk about all the circumstances around it. We're going to continue in the book of Matthew, and we're going to look at Joseph, and what Joseph's part was to play 
in Christmas. And he didn't save toys, but in a, in a sense, by obeying God, which we'll look at in just a bit, Joseph allowed the fulfillment of prophecy. And I, I'm not going to get too far ahead of myself. We will look at that as we look at Matthew chapter 1, and we finish that out this morning. That in our, that, with that in our mind, let's go back and do a little bit of review about where we've been so far in the book of Matthew chapter 1. Uh, Matthew begins his gospel with a genealogy. A genealogy is here. We've looked at that for three weeks now. Yes, somehow we made genealogy last for three weeks, and we've looked at several different things throughout that genealogy. Uh, And the understanding that we need to come to is that that first Christmas when Jesus came as a baby, when he is born, when God uh, becomes man and is born that first Christmas, there was a lot of stuff that went on before that to set this up. And so the first thing we looked at is that Jesus is the Messiah of the, for the Jews that they've waited for, and that Jesus is seen as a Jewish man in the royal line. So he is the Messiah, he is the royal one to come, and then we looked at some specific people that through Abraham, Jesus is the promised blessing to Israel and to all the world. That throughout the Old Testament, there was a promise made to Abraham that the world would be blessed through his offspring. And we've seen that Jesus is the fulfillment of that blessing. And then next we saw that he is connected to David, Israel's true king that was the best king. There was Saul before him, but really David was the one that God had chosen for Israel. And that there is a promise written throughout the Old Testament that David's throne would be everlasting. That there would be one who would come that would be the Messiah that would sit on David's throne and be the king. And so through David, we see that Jesus is the promised king of Israel, but not only Israel, but also all the world. And that as a king, we need to worship and honor him in, his, in all of his sovereignty. And then finally, last week, we looked at the, the idea that through exiles, we looked at this list of people that we don't really know much about, but through exiles, those who were taken out of their land, taken to Babylon, and all hope was lost, they were hopeless, but then we see that Jesus is the promised hope of Israel and all the world, that the prophets at the time of the exile said to Israel, look, there is something better coming. You might have no hope now because you are not in Israel anymore and you have been taken captive, but there is something better coming. There is a hope that is coming. I have a future and a hope that I'm going to give you, God says. And we looked through the Old Testament and we saw that that hope comes in no one else other than Jesus Christ as he comes to the world. So that is the background that we have as we've looked at that genealogy. And so it is very clear to see that Jesus is the center of Christmas. He is the hope, he is the blessing, he is the king that was born. Glory to the newborn king, we sing about that. He is all of these things as we come into Christmas, and that is what Christmas is all about. It's not about traditions, it's not about toys, it's not about anything other than the fact that God came as a blessing, a king, and a hope for all people. And so that is the setting we have as we now finish the first chapter of Matthew. And we're going to go back, actually, and we're going to look at verse 16, which is the last verse in the genealogy. And in Matthew chapter 1, verse 16, it says this, And Jacob was the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. We're going to look at this verse a little bit uh, throughout this whole sermon, but I wanted to point out that the end of the genealogy talks about Joseph and Mary. But Joseph is the husband of Mary of whom Jesus was born. Mary was the one who gave birth to Jesus. Joseph is his 
earthly father. So at the very end of this genealogy, we see Jesus' earthly parents that God chose to give Jesus to. There are a lot of things we can glean about Jesus based on the earthly parents that God chose. And we're going to start before we get to Joseph, and I believe that Joseph has such an important part to play, especially looking back and seeing the context. But I'm going to start by looking at Mary, because the first point we see is through this genealogy that Jesus is the son of Mary. Mary is included in this genealogy. It says that Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born. That's important there because in many genealogies you wouldn't include the mother. And we've already seen it happen in Matthew where some mothers have been included in this list to show that Jesus is the the king, hope, and blessing for all the world and not just Israel. But now we see Mary is also brought up here. But the whole point is this because Mary is the one who is truly Jesus' mother. She is the one giving birth to him. Joseph had nothing to do with this, which we're going to see in just a moment. But we do see that Jesus is the son of Mary. So that's verse 16. Let's go on to verses 18 through 25 as we see what happens as Matthew talks about the birth of Jesus. Verse 18. Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be the child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they will call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And Joseph woke from sleep and did as the angel of the Lord commanded him, and he took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. This is the entire uh, paraphrase here of Matthew on the birth of Jesus. It's, uh, as we go to Luke, we see a lot more details if you want to look over there. But in Matthew, that's very simple. It's that Mary conceived a child, Joseph married her, and then the baby was born. And that is what Matthew talks about. He talked a lot about the genealogy. He spent most of this chapter talking about that. And then at the end throws this in. And it's to understand some things about he just gave us some background. And now Jesus is born. And he makes it very clear right off the bat, as I've already said, that Mary is uh, the mother of Jesus. So Jesus is the son of Mary. Uh, Mary conceived Jesus while she was betrothed to Joseph, as these verses tell us. Betrothal is something we don't understand today, Uh, and uh, basically betrothal, a lot of people will say it's like engagement, but we don't even have that right concept of engagement even today. Betrothal is much deeper, It's uh, it's much more of a permanent thing than even engagement is. You hear all the time of people who will get engaged and, and then they'll decide that they uh, go back on that and they don't, they get unengaged, if you will, and then they move on to someone else. And we hear that happening very often. But Jewish betrothal was a lot different, and I won't go into all the details, but the betrothal basically was an official uh, promise, a contract, if you will, between a man and a woman that they were going to be married. Actually, in law, they were actually looked at already as married. They were already a couple, but they weren't able to uh, consummate the, the, the marriage um, and there was a year time of betrothal. Basically what that was for was uh, in that time to make sure uh, that they were both pure and ready to be married. 
And if there was anything that came up during that betrothal period, a man had the right... Um, so if he would define that his, his, his wife-to-be, his betrothed, would have, uh, would have any uncleanness in her, he could choose to divorce her. And it was kind of a buffer zone. It was like before marriage is the final thing, there's this betrothal thing. But betrothal was, by all accounts, a, a contract that could only be broken by divorce. It wasn't just, oh, I'm going to give the ring back and walk away. This is a, this, so Joseph and Mary were already promised to be married. They were basically married. They were seen as married in a lot of ways, except they hadn't slept together. And that was the only difference. And in the betrothal time, uh, that was to see whether the purity was there, whether everything was ready to go. And they had a, a year to prepare for that. And that's what betrothal was. And so we see that at this point, Mary conceives Jesus while betrothed to Joseph. That leaves two options for most people watching. Uh, if they were to be watching the Mary and Joseph, if they were close to Mary and Joseph, if they noticed that she had conceived and she was pregnant, there was one of two options that people would have seen. One was that Mary was unfaithful to Joseph, that she had gone and, and been with another man. Uh, the other one would be that Joseph and Mary both couldn't wait any longer and that they would have had sexual relations and that would have been... Uh, seen as adultery that would have been seen as fornication that would have been seen as a sexual sin and so these are the two options that people watching would have seen i want you to remember that later on when we talk about joseph but we know what the bible tells us is there's a third thing there's this third option that other people wouldn't have looked at because it seems crazy right but god can do amazing crazy miracles and the truth is what we're told is what uh, the angel ends up telling joseph and says that look Mary, the one that is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Mary was a virgin until the birth of Jesus. The third option is that Mary isn't, didn't sleep with Joseph. She didn't sleep with another man. Mary is a virgin, but God is the one that gave her the child that she would have. That she had conceived by the Holy Spirit. That God did a miracle and created and brought himself down and created this child in Mary. And so therefore... Um, this, he would send God himself into Mary to be born as a baby. And so the Holy Spirit is the one who has conceived uh, this child, and it is not another man, and it is not Joseph. Now keep in mind, though, that we know that because we look at Scripture and we see the truth. And actually, as we continue to read this passage, we see that Joseph and Mary never slept together until after Jesus was born. It leaves no ground here to say that somehow Joseph was actually Jesus' father, but instead God sent Jesus into Mary. And that is exactly what we see throughout Scripture. And so we, we see that Mary is really the one who would be giving birth to Jesus, but no one has been the one to provide the seed, if you will, except God himself. Now we want to see another point here as we talk about Mary. <clears throat> Through Mary, Jesus is seen as the biological descendant of David. The biological descendant of David. Uh, this being said, Mary is Jesus' actual mother. She is giving birth to Jesus, right? But Joseph isn't his actual father. He had nothing to do with the process. Mary was a virgin. And so therefore, Joseph had nothing to do with the process. So then why... Did we just read this genealogy that traces the lineage of Joseph? Why would we do that? Well, we'll look at that in just a moment. But I'm going to just say briefly that we looked at this the first week. This is a legal genealogy. 
It's a genealogy that traces the line of the kingship from David all the way to Joseph, who would then be Jesus' earthly legal father, so that the promise of the throne could flow through to Jesus. And that is vitally important. However, we also see in the book of Luke, if you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 3, Luke chapter 3, I'm not going to read uh, verses 23 through 38. It's a long passage. Uh, I'm not going to go through all of these verses uh, and butcher even more names than I already have. Uh, But what you see if you read this in its entirety is Luke's genealogy of Jesus. And if we were to read through all of these, you're actually going to see that uh, there are differences between this genealogy and Matthew's genealogy. And a lot of critics have said, well, this is proof that the Bible isn't right. This is proof that the Bible's not inspired. They're wrong. They give two, diff- two genealogies, and they're completely different. There's different people that are here, especially between, we're talking between David and Jesus. There's all sorts of different people that are mentioned here. What could be the answer to that? Well, as many scholars have dug into this and looked at chapter 3 in Luke, as um, Luke, in verse, starting in verse 23, gives a genealogy of Jesus. It says, with the son, uh, in verse 23, as was supposed of Joseph. This statement makes the point that the genealogy that's about to follow is not Joseph's genealogy. Because it was only supposed that he was Jesus' son, or Joseph's son. It's not truth. And then you go to the son of Heli, the, and the son of Mathet, the son of Levi, the son of Melchi, and it goes on and goes on and goes on. But what most scholars, almost every, any conservative scholar that looks at this passage would see, is that there are differences, but this is Mary's genealogy. And this makes a whole lot of sense. If you look at the context of Luke, listen, in Matthew we hear a lot about Joseph, in Luke... Joseph is just like on the side. He's like this peripheral figure. In Luke, what we see throughout from the very beginning of uh, this book, uh, we see it having to do with Mary and her family. Uh, We see a lot with with, uh, John the Baptist. We see Elizabeth there. That's Mary's family. We see Mary's song of praise uh, in in chapter 1. Uh, in chapter 2, we read a lot about Mary, and Mary is the one to be this, the, uh, the mother of God. We see that the angel comes to Mary. All of these different things we see throughout the book of Luke, and Luke is focusing on Mary. He's not focusing on Joseph as the father. It makes sense that Matthew, writing to a Jewish audience, would be very careful to show genealogy through the father, through the legal father. But Luke is showing the historical genealogy that is based on Mary. And if you look through these names, you'll see that there's differences, and that makes sense, because it's following Mary's genealogy. But here's the cool thing. Joseph's legal genealogy and Mary's biological genealogy, they both trace back to David. Which is exactly what the Old Testament would say, is that there would be one on the throne that would come from the line of David. And you say, why is Luke's important? Why wouldn't we just have Matthew's? Well, if you do know a little bit, if you've studied this at all, you know that one of the last, the last kings that are mentioned here in Matthew, uh, which is um, Jeconiah, he actually is cursed in scripture, and he's told that no one from him will ever sit on the throne of David again. Now, how can that be true if Jesus is from him? Well, he's not actually from him. 
This was a legal line. That he has the legal right to the throne, but he's not biologically connected to Jeconiah. And so what we see here is that through Mary and Joseph, Jesus indeed is the descendant of David. This is important as we continue on, as we think about the fact that he is the king of the world, that he is the one that is meant to come from David. The Messiah had to come from David, and through both of his parents, his earthly parents, we see the lineage that leads back to David. So, that's just to give us some a more background on Mary. Uh, Mary uh, is Jesus' mother. She's the one that conceived child by the Holy Spirit, and now will give birth to Jesus. And Mary was obviously important, and we hear a lot about Mary, right? I mean, Mary, we sing songs about Mary. Mary, did you know? Uh, you know, we know the Catholic Church, they look at Mary even in even more esteem than we do. But we do talk about Mary a lot. She's the mother of, of, of God. She's the mother of Christ and in the sense that God chose her to fulfill that role. And it's not wrong to talk about Mary. She was faithful. She was a woman who honored the Lord and obeyed the Lord and although afraid, followed through with what she was told to do. And I don't want to take anything away from Mary, but I do want to say that even though she was obviously important, so was Joseph. Even though Joseph wasn't Jesus' biological father, it was important for Joseph to be a part of this. You see, Christmas couldn't have really been fulfilled if Joseph didn't play his part. In a sense, he's the man who saved the first Christmas. And you say, I don't understand. Well, remember that Jesus, as the promised king, had to come through the line, the royal line of David. And so Joseph is the legal way, the, the royal line to go back to David. And if Jesus wasn't in the royal line of David, then he wouldn't have been fulfilling the prophecy of being the king that had the right to the throne. And so let's look at, let's look at Joseph for a moment. Jesus is the son of Joseph in an earthly sense, in a legal sense. And that's the first point here. As Joseph's legal son, Jesus is the, in the legal line of David. I use these words because this is, very, this is the truth we see here. And Matthew is going to line this up in his genealogy because he wants to show the Jewish audience that is reading that Jesus has a right to the throne of David. And so Joseph is the legal father of Jesus, and therefore Jesus has the, he's in the line of David, the legal line of David, and had a right to the throne. So then we, we read more about Joseph here in this passage. And it says in verse 19, and her husband Joseph, once again, they call him her husband. That's how, that's how uh, betrothal was. It was marriage before marriage. But, and, and her husband Joseph, being a just man, and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. So what was Joseph plan what were his plans? Well, Joseph intended to divorce Mary. Now we look at this and we say, Oh, he was a just man. So that means uh the reason he doesn't end up divorcing her is because uh he was a, a fair man and he wasn't going to do that. Actually, the reason that he's going to divorce her is because he's a just man. Let me explain that. This would have been the right thing for a man to do. This would have been the expected thing for a man to do. His betrothed wife was just found to be with child that he knew was not his. So the Jewish law was very clear. At that point, it was proven that she was unfaithful. And not only was it his right, but it was actually his duty as a man, as a man who followed God, who would be a just man, to divorce her. But men also had the right at that point to divorce her publicly, to shame her. 
to make it known to all those who are watching that indeed she is unfaithful. Now, I, you know, I've heard this said before too, that the, the, the punishment for adultery is stoning. And that is true in Jewish law. But let's keep in mind, this is under the Roman occupation. And they really couldn't get away with stoning unless there was a reason that the Romans would be behind. So I'm not necessarily thinking that she would have been stoned, but she definitely could have been, perf- she would have been publicly shamed. And Joseph had the right to do that. And he was planning on divorcing her, which was the right thing to do because she was seen as unfaithful, but he was going to do it quietly because he cared for her. And he, he loved her enough to say, I'm going to do this quietly. I don't want to publicly shame her. So there, he's a good man. He's a just man. He's doing what is right and doing it in a loving way, which is important to see with, G, with Joseph. God had already been working in his heart and in his life. He was already a just man. He intends to divorce Mary, which is not a bad thing. That's something he should have wanted to do. And yet, then God comes and intervenes. You see, then an angel comes to Joseph, as we know the story. The angel comes to Joseph, we read here in verse 20. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Later on in this last verse, uh, last verses, it says, When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until they had give, she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. The angel comes to Joseph, and he tells him, Look, no, you need to marry, uh, you need to marry Mary. I understand that it looks like she's unfaithful, but trust me, this is of me. You need to trust me, and you need to do what I ask. And Joseph, he awakes, and he goes, and he takes Mary as his wife, and, and he, doesn't, he doesn't sleep with her until after, after Jesus is born. And when Jesus is born, he names him Jesus, just like the angel told him to do. We see that Joseph obeyed God and became the husband of Mary and the father of Jesus, the legal father of Jesus. Through his marriage to Mary, he became the legal father of Jesus. Had Joseph divorced Mary and walked away as he had every right to do, then the legal line of David would not have been passed through to Jesus. This is, an, this is why Matthew talks so much about Joseph. Notice that in all the other Gospels, Joseph, as I said, is more of a peripheral figure. He's like just the guy that happens to be around. But in this one, in Matthew, they, he focuses on Joseph and what happened with Joseph because it is vitally important that the line of David be passed down through him. Even when the angel comes to Joseph, he says, Joseph, son of David. It's very clear here that in order for the legal line of the king of the world to be down to Jesus, Joseph had to marry Mary, and he did. He obeyed. But I want to take just a minute to think about what this meant for Joseph. As I said earlier, people watching only had two options. Either Mary was unfaithful to Joseph, or Joseph and Mary had had sex before marriage. Either way, this was, a, this was forbidden. This was something that shouldn't have happened. And so, as people would look at that, now Joseph chooses to marry Mary what are the people going to think? Well, they're not going to think that she was unfaithful to him because if that was the case, he would have divorced her. So now Joseph is willing to give up his reputation of being a fair and just man, a godly man. He's willing to give up his reputation and have everyone think that he broke the betrothal vow and he slept with Mary before their marriage. He was willing to forsake himself to obey God. And in doing so, 
became the legal father of Jesus, allowing Jesus to be in the legal line of David. Joseph has a bigger part to play than we often give him credit. He, he legitimately, because he chose to obey God, to follow what God told him to, and to take Mary as his wife, he saved the first Christmas. He saved the fulfillment of Christmas. Now, obviously, in all of this, God was in control, and we know that, but Joseph here is used to make the right choice. So Joseph may have been the man who saved Christmas, if we look at it in that sense, but it is Jesus who is the man who saves people. And so as we talk about this, we talk about Joseph and Mary, listen, they are not the important ones. Although God used them and they were needed in this narrative to get us to the point where we see the birth of Jesus, it is important that we remember that all Joseph and Mary are important and they were faithful and they obeyed and that is good and we can follow their example. The one that we really need to focus on as we come into Christmas, though, is not the parents but the child, The man who is God, the man who would be God, God who became man, we see it in his very name. In Jesus' very name, we see that Jesus is not only the son of Mary, he's not only the son of Joseph, but most importantly, Jesus is the son of God. Jesus is the son of God. And the first thing we see is that Mary and Joseph's baby, when that baby is born, is the anointed king. As we look through these verses back in 16, it says, And Jacob, the father of Joseph, the husband of Mary, of whom Jesus was born, who is called Christ. Throughout Scripture, you will find Jesus called Christ. And we looked at this as we looked at the, uh, the understanding of Jesus being king. But the word Christ means that Mary and Joseph's baby is the anointed king. Christ means the anointed one. It's the same word as Messiah. And Jesus, as he is born, we're told right here, even in Matthew and throughout Scripture, that this baby who was born would be called Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the king. And so Jesus comes, he is the son of God and as such is the anointed king that Israel was promised that we are promised. I was just talking with somebody earlier uh, this morning and he brought up a really good point about this idea of Jesus being the king. That we don't have a concept really of what it's like to serve a king. We, We have a democracy, we have a president and if we don't like what's happening, we just vote somebody else in and it's all taken care of. And then we don't like them and we vote somebody else in. That's the process of democracy. But a king is one who we follow without question. But the beautiful thing we have is that Jesus, as the anointed king, is not like earthly kings. He's not there to destroy us. He's not there to to off with our heads if we do something wrong. Jesus is the good king. The king who comes down to the people, who is with the people, which we'll get to our next point. And so we need to honor Christ as king because Christ means he's king. He is the anointed one. He is the son of God. But not only that, in this passage, we see that Mary and Joseph's baby is the savior. Is the savior. As the angel talks to Joseph in verse 21, he says, She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. So the second part of Jesus' name, we call him Jesus Christ. So we've got Christ, which is the anointed one. Now we have in this passage, Jesus is going to be his given name. Now he's not the only Jesus uh, of this time. There's lots of people actually that would have been named Jesus. 
And it means God will save or God has saved. And the understanding of Jesus, that would be it. It's the same root as Joshua and, and uh, others. And so they, he would not have been the only Jesus in all of Israel. But there is a truth here that Jesus will save his people from their sins is what we're told here in Matthew chapter 1. Very interesting that this phrase is used. It doesn't say he will save the people or he will save a people or he will save um, uh, some people. It says he will save his people. We just talked about Jesus being king, but he's also savior because he came down to be one of us. And that's what Christmas is all about. As we're told that Jesus is going to save his people from their sins. We've already looked at this. Some will say that this is referring to Jews, but we've already looked at the fact that in the genealogy, there are people in his genealogy that are not Jewish. And so this isn't just for the Jewish people, but he has saved his people, people, mankind, because he became a man. The king who is God, who is anointed the king of the world, came down from his throne to become a man. We're told that in Philippians chapter 2. We're told that all throughout scripture, that Jesus came to be a man and he saves his people from their sin. God became one of us. As God and as king, he came down to be one of us. And that's why he can save us. Because he can live that perfect life that he ends up living. And so that he can die a death that only a man can die. And yet his blood is shed. The perfect blood that is of God is able to forgive us of our sins. So Mary and Joseph's baby is the savior. We're told that when he's told to name him Jesus. And then verse twenty. Two, and all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet, who was Isaiah. It says, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son. That virgin obviously is Mary. But, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. Now wait a minute. I thought his name was Jesus. The word, the, the word for name means a lot of things in the scripture. But the word for name is not always just talking about the physical name that we call someone. Jesus would have been the name he would have been called. Christ is the office in which he holds, he's anointed. But Emmanuel is his identity. A name is all about identity. And what is being said here is that Jesus, the one who will save his people from their sins, is God with us. His identity is that he came to be one of us. He is with us always. And it doesn't just stop at Christmas, but he became a child. He became a person to be with us for all time. That even as he left this earth, he says, I am with you always. Jesus is Emmanuel. Mary and Joseph's baby is God. Mary and Joseph's baby is God. And we see that in his identity as Emmanuel. That this baby would be God with us. The Savior and King who is with us. Not apart from us, not watching over us. Although those things are true, but he's also with us. A lot of times we think of Jesus as kind of being way over there, kind of watching and uh, away from us. But Jesus is with us. He is God. He is Emmanuel. And so we see from these things that he's the anointed king of all. He is the savior, the one who can save from sin. And he is God. He is Emmanuel, the one who, God who is with us. And as we look at all three of those things, we say that Jesus for sure is not just the Mary of, or the son of Mary and Joseph. He is the son of God himself. I want to flip over to the book of Luke as we finish this point. Luke chapter 1, verse 31. 
as we look at the fact that Jesus is the Son of God, this is very clearly said here in Luke. Luke chapter 1, verse 31, and this is the story, this is the narrative of when the, the Gabriel, the angel, comes to Mary and tells her what's going to happen. But starting in verse 31, this is what we read. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. There it is again, Savior. He will be great, and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David. There's his kingship. And he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And and of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be since I am a virgin? And the angel answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore child, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has conceived a son, and this is the sixth month with her who is called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. An angel has come now to Mary. We know that. That's the scene in Luke. He also came to Joseph. And they say the same thing is said to them. Name him Jesus. But then with Joseph, it's saying that it's talking about Emmanuel. And then here talking to Mary, it's very clear that what the angel tells to Mary is that the child that's going to be born is the son of the Most High and is the son of God. He talks about his kingship. He talks about the fact that you'll name him Jesus, he'll be a savior. The savior and king of the world is God. Is God in Jesus as he comes as a baby. This baby is the son of the most high. And so we have this truth as we come into Christmas. Mary had a part to play. Joseph had a large part to play. Ultimately, God is the ultimate one that has everything in control here. He sent his son to the world. And now we have an opportunity as Christmas comes to remember Jesus as the king, honor him as such, that he is the savior. He is the one that can and will save you from your sin. His sacrifice on the cross, he lived a perfect life so that he could give his life on the cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. Anytime we've gone our own way and said no to God, that is sin. And so he's paid for that on the cross. He will one day die. This baby that is born does not just stay a baby. He grows up and he dies on the cross for our sin. So that if we accept him and we come to him in faith and we turn from our way of living and say, I'm not going to live for myself, but I'm going to live for Christ because I love him and I have faith in him. That is what salvation can have. We can be saved through Jesus, through his death, through his resurrection that he proved that he was stronger than sin and death. And we believe and trust in him. We can have salvation. And so do we believe in him as our king? Do we believe in him as our savior? And ultimately, do we really see Jesus, the baby that is so cute that we see on Christmas cards? That baby is not just a baby. He is God himself. God with us for all time. So the questions we need to ask as we conclude. The first one is, have you recognized and accepted salvation through Jesus? The gospel that we just heard, that Jesus not only was born, but lived a life, died on the cross, rose again to give new life to anyone who will have faith in him. If you have not come to Jesus and had faith in him and said, I want to give my life to you, and I want to, for, I want forgiveness for my sins. If you haven't done that, then this Christmas is the time to accept the greatest gift that has ever been given, and that is Jesus Christ. 
the king, the savior, and God himself wants to save you. Just come to him in faith. Others of us need to ask this question. Are we willing to follow God even when it might cost us? I want to go back to Joseph. Joseph gave up his reputation and everything he had worked for when he married Mary. When he basically admitted to all those who were watching that he was the father of the child of Mary, even though he wasn't, he was allowing himself to give up everything to follow God and to obey him. And as a result, God used him in such a mighty way, he became the father, the earthly father of the savior of the world, the king that came from David. Are we willing to follow God and obey him even if it means we're going to have to have personal cost? Maybe our reputation, maybe it's something else. Whatever it might be that we might have to give up, are we willing to follow in the footsteps of what Joseph did and do what God asks even if it costs us dearly? And finally, do we fully appreciate Jesus for all that he is? Do we truly appreciate Jesus? Do we fully appreciate Jesus for the fact that he is the king? That he is the one that we honor and serve? Not question or vote out, but honor and serve and submit to. That he's our savior, the one who came to be with us so that he could die for us, so we could truly embrace the grace that he's given. And finally, do we really see Jesus as God, the one who we surrender our lives to completely? Because that's who Jesus is. This Christmas season, let us not get distracted by toys, presents, family, tradition, all that can be good things. But let's not let it distract us from remembering Emmanuel, that God is with, with, with us. God came to be with us on Christmas, and God is with us now, and he always will be. That is the truth that we can cling to as we come into Christmas. Join me in prayer as the worship team comes up to sing the final song here. Lord, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the reminder that you are the king. Jesus, that you came as a baby to be the king of the world, the savior of us, and God over all. We thank you so much that we have the promise of Emmanuel, that we know that you're with us. Now, you're not far off, just in the distance, but God, you are here with us, and we thank you so much for that Christ. Today, I just want to pray, if there's anyone here today that has not accepted Jesus as their savior, that you would that, God, you would convict them of their sin and allow them to see their need for you this Christmas season. Bring people to yourself. And, God, for any of us who are struggling with fully understanding who you are and worshiping you for what you're worth and who you are, Lord, allow us to repent of that and to live a life in which we give you the honor that is truly due your name. And so we thank you for this time. We thank you for this time of year. I pray that we wouldn't get distracted. The world wants to distract us about, away from what's important, but, Lord, allow us to look to you Keep you the center of our Christmas. And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.